Welcome to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and today we present a conversation on deep text. BA Insight CTO Jeff Freed recently sat down with text analytics expert Tom Remy on the eve of the release of Tom's latest book, Deep Text, using text analytics to conquer information overload, get real value from social media, and add bigger text to big data. Their conversation begins with the book, but ranges far and wide from there. Intelligent agents, cognitive computing, semantic technology, deep learning, and of course, search. These two experts offer insights into the direction of the field, all in the context of deep text. And now I'll turn it over to Jeff Freed with our guest, Tom Remy. So Tom, it's it's delightful that we could spend some time together today. I've, as you know, looked through and read a draft of your book, which I'm very excited about. What prompted you to write this book in the first place? Well, I've been working in the field of text analytics for you know, over 10 years now. And one of the things that came became very clear is that there's no really good description of what text analytics is. Um, and I kind of got tired of, of these blank looks when I told people what I did. Um, but also, there's a whole lot of confusion um, about what text analytics is, what's the relationship between text analytics and text mining. Um, for example, I mean, even even um, Wikipedia, um, you look at Wikipedia and you'll see text mining and text analytics, and they talk about, I mean, basically interchangeable words. And to my experience, that's not even remotely um, true and interestingly enough, even while they're saying that text analytics and text mining are the same thing, when you actually look at the descriptions underneath, you know, the text mining description is all about mathematics and counting, counting words as objects, and the text analytics is all about you know, concepts and language and so forth. So even when they're trying to say that it's not, um, that they're the same thing, um, they're basically looking, they're basically presenting ideas that they're not the same thing. So, so that's, that's one of the really big um, drives for writing this, is, is to try to clear up that confusion. And what I wanted was not just a definition, um, a short definition of what it was, but I wanted to really talk about all the different aspects of text analytics, because again, there's no really good comprehensive book. I mean, there is one on text mining that's very good, but, but nothing at all on text analytics. And so... Um, I was actually uh, approached by a publisher, and they wanted me to write a book on text analytics. And um, I looked at their list of uh, or catalog of books, and they were mostly short technical books. And so that didn't seem like a good fit. And so I turned and said to um, my favorite publisher and conference sponsor, Information Today. And so um, that was what we agreed on, that I would write this very comprehensive book um, we try to talk about you know, what is text analytics, all the different features and functions, what's the business value, how do you get started in it, what are the best development practices and also the worst practices to avoid, um, what kinds of applications you can build with it. And then the book itself is actually um, divided up into five sections of so three chapters each. The last section is on what I call enterprise text analytics, which is how do you build an how do you build a text analytics program or initiative or foundation within the enterprise and so that that's that's really the whole story of, of trying to develop a, a really comprehensive look at text analytics i've also looked around and seen that nothing like this existed 
There's a lot of academic monographs, but really nothing that's useful for people that are trying to put it to work, as, as you will. You know, I, I've also noticed lately sort of a resurgence in AI concepts, intelligence agents, cognitive computing, semantic technologies. Is that what the book is about as well? Not exactly. <laughs> it does deal with it. Um, interesting enough, um, I'm probably dating myself, but um, uh, I was actually around for the first real hype around um, artificial intelligence when they were going to um, model, be able to model common sense knowledge in the next couple of years. And in fact, I actually stopped working on my dissertation and went off in, in a different direction because of those claims. Uh, I and a whole bunch of other people were then, of course, disappointed. Um, the, the latest hype, actually, I think, is, is it's got a lot more substance to it. What what this book about is it, it, it's not, for example, cognitive computing. It deals with that in, in a couple of sections, but it doesn't deal. That's not the main focus. So, for example, deep learning is is the 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 technology behind uh, Watson, for example, IBM's Watson. Um, and so Deep Text tries to look at that and say, okay, this is great. They're doing some wonderful breakthroughs. Um, but the breakthroughs are largely, and the deep learning itself is largely based on massive increases in speed of computers and size um, of neural networks that you can actually build. Now, neural networks, again, go back to the 80s. So that's not really new. So what I wanted to do in this book and, and what I see um, uh, as more important is deep text as a way of adding depth and intelligence to, um, say, deep learning. And there's an article in the book um, that I talk about um, where there's one person anyway is trying to do a different approach to AI. And what he's trying to do is model AI more on how humans learn. Deep learning is not at all remotely close to what how how humans learn. Um, humans don't learn by being exposed to a few million examples of something, and then a pattern emerges out of, of their analysis of those few million examples, and they come up with a rule. Humans look at, at the situation and immediately overgeneralize from that one one example, um, create an overgeneralized rule, and then they learn exceptions to it, refine it, and so forth. So. Um, what I'm interested in, what, what a lot of new other approaches to AI are interested in, is something that's modeled more on a human. And the, the reason for that is that for all of, for example, IBM's Watson's power, um, pretty much every three-year-old child on the planet is better at language than Watson. Yeah, that's true. It's funny that you put it that way because, uh, you know, as you know, I too have lived through waves of hype in semantic processing. I did text analytics and, and semantic search back in the bubble days. Mm -hmm. It's very nice to see a new wave of hype in the sense that there's new energy around it, but there's still lots of hype. I, I wonder why that's so, because I think that hype makes things more confusing for people who are trying to apply this kind of technology. So why is there so much hype in this field? One of one of the things is that it's it's way more exciting to watch um, you know, Watson beat the Jeopardy champions, for example, um, than to talk about um, how much value you get out of going out and hiring a librarian to make search work better by better metadata and auto categorization. That's just not really a, a gripping story. Um, so that that's that's part of it. The other is that um, an awful lot of since there's a, a lot of technology involved in in all of this, whether it's deep learning, deep text, um, cognitive computing, 
um, tax analytics. Um, there's a, a lot of IT involved, and companies that have that heavy IT uh, investment and, and people that are in the field tend to want to believe the automatic story. They want to basically move people out of the equation and, and turn it all over to a computer and because it's faster, cheaper, and so forth. Um, and so I think they, they really are prepared to believe that the answer is, yes, the software can do it all. Even the idea that machines can understand human language is sort of a holy grail. Everyone relates to the Star Trek kind of view and it's sort of a holy grail. That, that makes it exciting. Even if the reality doesn't meet the hype, there's still a lot of value there. Yeah, and, and we're, in a lot of cases, um, what's going on is um, the hype gets people to, you, you look at something and you, you see it working partially and say, oh, wow, that's really cool. And you immediately extrapolate to um, what it would be like if it were really completely um, at, at a really deep understanding, um, for example, of language. And, but what's really going on is actually we're lowering our standards. And so you know, what, we're, what we're seeing is that, well, the computer can do 60% job. Well, okay, that's good enough then. Um, when in fact, of course, in, very, in some cases actually it is, but in other cases it's not. Uh, it's interesting because we use all of these terms like language understanding as opposed to language processing. Mm -hmm. And all of these anthropomorphic elements, uh, which also lead to the hype, uh, you take something like sentiment analysis. Uh, it's now in regular use, even though it's not perfect, even though it may not even be 80% accurate, it's still very valuable. But I think it's hard for people to, you know, know what they really need and understand what's realistically possible. And, you know, as a guy, a product guy, I, I built lots of demos. It's very easy to make a, a text analytics demo that looks fabulous. You can make a cool demo easily, but it's really hard to make something that works reliably in, in the business environment of dirty data yeah we don't we don't focus on that part um say the demo if the demo is there if it looks um good then uh, then then it's it's wonderful or, or for example in the the sentiment analysis example remember looking at the really early results it was not much above chance whether there's something was really positive or negative or, or somewhere in between i mean was, you know we're talking about maybe 55 percent accuracy um and and that's when they were just doing simple keywords, positive words, negative words, and not even, not even looking at anything else. And so, I mean, if you, if you look at that and say, wow, that's really not very good at all, but that's not what people were looking at. What they're looking at was, oh, look, see, here's an example um, of these negative statements that we, we picked up out of this, this whole stream. And it's something we couldn't do before um, without hiring huge numbers of people. So it is a plus, but it just it ends up looking so much better than it actually is. I, I once built a system for a news agency that categorized photographs so mm -hmm. that someone could say, I've got a story, what stock photos do I have that match it? And they were delighted, I, but I looked at it, it didn't really work that well. I mean, it, it often came up with photos that were had nothing to do with the subject uh, because it was looking at a tiny bit of metadata and then image processing. Until I realized that, well, if if it serves up ten photos and three of them are good, that's much better than they had before. Right. So, what are examples 
of things you've seen people really realistically do and get good business value of when it comes to deep text? What, what's possible today? There's sort of two answers. That one is is that um, what's possible today is is pretty pretty amazing. Um, but of course, even more amazing is is um, hopefully what's coming. But when I look at the actual applications, there are sort of two main areas: are enterprise applications and, and social media applications. And yeah, there's a lot of overlap between them. Um, but again, it's the most of the hype is around the social media part, and, and, and a lot of that is because it's actually easier to do. But, but in the enterprise, the still number one application within the enterprise is, is trying to make search work. Now, we've been trying to do that for so many years, um, and it hasn't worked, um, without using text analytics. And so more and more people are realizing that, gee, this is the way to actually make search work. And so that's, that's a big one. Um, then once you've got something like that in place, then you can build you know, um, business intelligence uh, applications that go out and look at um, all different kinds of content and say, okay, what's, what, what are your competitors doing? Or you go and do customer intelligence. Um, what are you doing to uh, what, are, what are customers saying? What kinds of, of issues are, are they um, concerned about? So, so those are, are, are fairly standard regular applications. Another one we've done um, for a number of uh, clients is expertise location, um, building expertise profiles based on. Um, an analysis of the writings um, of the documents that someone's published into the enterprise. So um, that one was a good one. News aggregation is actually very mature at this point. We, we did one actually way, way back, like over 10 years ago, a very early application, and that's still um, working really well. But one aspect of, of that, and we can, we can probably talk about this um, later on, but um, a lot of the applications that are working well and that are sort of mature are applications in which it's not an automatic um, process. It's um, the computer does something that to then make the human work smarter and better. So it's a hybrid solution. Humans in the loop is one of yes. my favorite patterns because they provide supervision, et cetera. And that's one of the reasons that search is effective in this area because it has humans in the loop. Right. Actually, this would be a fun thing to debate with you. What, what's your view of how search relates to text analytics? I mean, I'm kind of a search nerd, as you know. <laughs> I think I actually probably met when I was doing a, some talk about how search and text analytics relate. Mm -hmm. Some, including me, would say text analytics is its own field and has really important applications as a module or part of a search engine. Some might say that all of search is an application of text analytics. Where would you come down? The question is more to do with the focus and, and in some cases, the culture of the organization that's looking at it, uh, what, what they're primarily concerned with. I mean, they're obviously intimately related. Personally, I think that, yes, text analytics is the foundation that makes search work, um, and it also makes all those applications you can build on top of search, which are we used to call search-based applications or info apps or whatever we want to call them. But, yes, to me, I have to admit... Um, analytics is, is the sort of the foundation piece that makes it all work. Yeah, it's, it's fun because it's mm -hmm. sort of not a single technology e either. It's a set of techniques that have so many applications. Uh, what was the other application you wanted to talk about? Social media applications, of course, are, are um, really big um, right now. Sentiment analysis is, is um, but also 
um, not just sentiment analysis, but analyzing for other kinds of, of issues and, and, and concerns. Um, for example, one of the projects we did was for a telecommunications company, and we we're looking at um, the support of our hundreds of thousands of, of these customer support notes that were where they were talking with customers on the phone. Um, and so, yet yeah, we looked for sentiment, we looked for particular issues and so forth. But, but then, and this is to me one of the real powers of doing text analytics for, with rules, for example. We can talk about <laughs> rules machine um, uh, learning as well. But um, the rules enable you to dive much more deeply into um, the text. And so in this particular case, for example, we built rules that were designed to determine whether a customer was calling to actually cancel um, their entire um, account or um, they're calling for or, or, or just simply sounded that way. So um, what we ended up doing was building rules that could distinguish between whether just, of course, ask, calling to cancel an entire account or, or just one, one part, which you know, they don't care if it's just one part because um, they'll, they'll sell some more. Um, but then the big part of it was distinguishing between um, statements that were really liable to lead to cancellation versus statements that were basically bargaining. So um, the text would say something like, you know, I'm going to cancel my account unless you do so-and-so. Or if you don't stop calling me, I'm going to cancel my account. And so we built rules that looked for those kinds of bargain words, like unless or if, and then built a rule um, that could then dis um, distinguish between real threats to cancel um, versus just bargaining. That's fascinating. Uh, certainly powerful because people use all kinds of language. I know I... I I often use sarcasm. Yep. That's a hard thing to pick up. It is. That's that's talking about holy grails. That's definitely one of the holy grails um, in this whole field is sarcasm. If you were to suggest like just two or three key things that people should understand about this area, about deep text, what would you want to get across? The number one idea is that anything to do with text, the fundamental starting point is researching your own environment. Years ago, I used to study Greek language and culture and you know, the whole self-knowledge as, as the highest form of knowledge. Well, in this particular case, I think it's absolutely true. Um, and so, for example, most of the projects that we start uh, or that we, we work on, um, the starting point is always getting someone to understand what their information environment is. And there's a lot of components to that. I mean, yes, you have to understand the information technology. Are they using this uh, technology? Are they using SharePoint? Whatever. So that's part of it, but it's way beyond that. That's, that's, that's actually the easiest to understand. But more, it's around understanding the, the people in the organization, the users. What are their information needs and behaviors? And what's the range of those needs and behaviors? Um, for example, someone that's working on the phone dealing with customers they're typically want, they want facts. They want quick answers that they can provide. Somebody that's doing deep research has different, very, very different kinds of needs. Um, and so you have to understand what, what the range of those needs are in your organization. Um, what are the communities um, within your organization? How do they communicate? What kinds of content do they need? What kinds of questions? Um, the other really big one, of course, is understanding what the content is that you're looking at. What's the content? Where is it stored? How is it stored? 
what kinds of content structure do you have? Um, taxonomies, metadata, catalogs um, that you can use, but also what kinds um, do you need? Um, and what are the content processes, the publishing process, the content management, the SharePoint? So that's sort of number one, is starting with really understanding the in information environment that you're dealing with. Number two big, big one, I would say, is that, and we've talked a little bit about it already, is that to me, the future of text analytics and the best approach is to look at how to integrate things like machine learning and rules-based, how to integrate human and machine efforts, and coming up with hybrid solutions that are not being sold as automatic solutions, but, but hybrid solutions. And to me, one of the biggest examples of, of the, the limitations um, of uh, it's the automatic, um, simple machine learning kinds of approaches, there was a recent story about Facebook and, and uh, trending news um, where they were accused of that there was a certain liberal bias. Well, when I read that story, to me, the most interesting thing was that with all the money and the technical expertise that Facebook had, their automatic part of the trending news um, processing got 60% accuracy. And all the rest, from 60 up to 80 to 90%, were with human editors working with what the, what the programs provided. Now, if Facebook can't get better than 60% um, accuracy, um, what's, a, what's an organization, um, much smaller, regular organization, going to be able to do? So it sort of comes back to, first, knowing what you have, what you need, knowing your data, and secondly, looking to hybrid solutions. Yes. To me, the best way to do text analytics is to look at it as a kind of infrastructure uh, component um, or an, an infrastructure approach. It's a foundation. It's not a project. You don't just go out and do your quick project and you're done. And that's, that's even if that's all you really want is, you know, a new search or a new social media analysis. If you approach it as just another kind of information project, you're not going to get the best results. You need to, again, it goes back to the research part, but, um, but it's more than just researching, but it's building a solution. Once you have the foundation in place, the Good Text Analytics Foundation, then you can build all different kinds of applications. Sometimes I find that that message about building a foundation is difficult in a business context because it's hard to measure whether in such an abstract thing, is your taxonomy done or not? Is it quality or not? Because it's a means to an end, building a foundation in order to have applications. How do you help people through that dilemma? That's, that is a very difficult one. And um, one, one way that, that, um, that I've been making the argument is um, tying it into uh, what, are, what are the best ways to get started um, or, or in some other cases restarted, but, but what, what are the best ways to get started in uh, tech analytics? And because what I've been trying to argue is that the best way to get started is, is by building this kind of foundation. Nobody wants to sit and just work on a foundation for you know, the next year or two um, before they actually see some results. And so uh, my uh, consulting group, we actually have been doing this for a number of years, and we have this process we call a smart start. And, and what it re revolves around is a, a basic mantra. The basic mantra is think big, start small, and scale fast. And so the think big is that, you know, research, the foundation, you need to understand the whole environment. 
you know, even if you're not building an environment, but you need to understand it. Um, you need to have maintenance and governance plans because that's one of the areas that people fail on uh, time and time again. They build something that don't have really good ideas for how to maintain it or, or govern it. So you have to have that think big part. That can be done fairly quickly and shortly and, and without a huge amount of effort. Then the start small part is to – there's a lot of different ways depending on, on the, the, the initial imp, uh, application that you're interested in. But the start small means build a proof of concept, build a pilot, and, and create the foundation while you're building the pilot. And what you do then is – and sometimes um, we've done proof of concepts that have been bake-offs um, between two different vendors. Other, other cases, it's just how to build a first application. The idea is not to build the whole thing or, or even, even to build you – know, certainly not to build a whole foundation. But by, looking, by doing a pilot – you do a number of things. One is, of course, you learn learn how to use the software. But more importantly, it gives you the chance to build the kind of semantic resources that you need, um, taxonomies, metadata schema, and something that we call catonomies. Um, oh, that's, that's cute. I, I, I've come up with a number of new words in, in the book, and um, my guess is that I'll, I'll be lucky if two or three of them catch. But anyway, um, you know, so catonomy is a combination of categorization rules and, and a taxonomy. So you, you build those. And more importantly, you train employees by doing um, so they learn not just the software, but they learn the best development practices. Now, of course, we're a consulting company, and so our job is to help people do that. And, and so that's that's been one of our focuses. But to be honest, I found that, that most people actually do need that because they don't have the, the resources inside. And then the fourth piece of that, um, start small, uh, by, uh, is that by doing a, a small targeted project, you can see the results. Um, you can see that, that it's, this is actually something that's going to work. At the same time, understand what's going to take to build um, the complete application. And so that's, that's when you get to the scale fast part where, um, okay, now we've got at least a partial foundation. We can start building apps um, quickly and economically and, and particularly avoid um, dead ends. I mean, one of the worst things you can do is say, okay, let's start this project and we're going to just build this giant foundation. And after a year, you discover that you know, there's these three fundamental flaws and you're not going to be able to build it the way you wanted to. So I think this, this kind of process is how we've been able to, or really tried anyway, um, to really push the notion of creating a foundation but doing it in a smart way. That's great because I, I, I find people are afraid of investing in these giant foundations. And the days of three-year-long taxonomy projects with – taxonomists that are often a corner, those days are gone. No, I absolutely agree. I think th those are gone. And in a lot of ways, the, the type of taxonomies that people were building in those kinds of big multi-year um, projects are being replaced as well. And part of the reason for that is, is the power of text analytics. I know we've, we've, you go out and you look at, at these giant taxonomies mesh, um, you know, which are huge um, 400,000 terms or whatever it is on the current one. And uh, those are good for one kind of thing, really heavily detailed academic kind of, of, of indexes. Well, that's, that's not a very powerful application. So if you want to actually build applications with a taxonomy, these days people are doing much more. Um, they're doing smaller taxonomies, and specifically, they're doing faceted taxonomies where you have multiple taxonomies, um, and then you're figuring out how they relate to each other 
um, how they can relate to each other in different kinds of search or different kinds of applications. Hallelujah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we, we do this partially because we have the tool set or a classifier that works with taxonomies and rules and does what you talked about as hybrids. I'm often trying to help people take big taxonomies and break them into small factors or even such common sense things as here's something about geography. Keep that by itself. Right. Here's something that's about your product lines. Keep that by itself. And, you know, a dozen small catonomies is much better than a giant one. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the ways to um, that we found you can actually do that, um, we were hired once back real early on um, by a, a large consulting company that was doing um, science and engineering consulting. And they wanted us to build, this was, again, uh, 10 years or eight years ago, something. Um, they wanted us to build a big enterprise taxonomy. And so we started working on it. And um, as we were analyzing um, the first thing, one of the things that came very clear is that there were certain kinds of concepts that were appearing throughout this taxonomy in every different um, field, in every di different discipline. Methods, for example, is one of them. I mean, there's chemical methods, there's engineering methods, or, and, and pulling methods out as a separate facet. When you, you can actually use those big old antiquated taxonomies in a number of ways. And one is to do something like that where you facetize the taxonomy. Another way that we found it's actually very interesting um, to do is that we've taken, like, they say something like mesh, where you've got five or six levels, and you roll up the bottom levels um, to the third level, use all the terms that were at that you know, levels four and five in your taxonomy as part of a, a categorization rule, um, and keep the taxonomy itself as a good, simple, humanly understandable three level. That makes a lot of sense. Nobody clicks more than three levels anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what gets in people's way of using deep text well? I've thought about that a lot because that's something, um, you know, obviously it's the field that we're both in. Um, and I think that there's a whole bunch of things, um, but um, some are small and some are, are large. Uh, the, one of the fundamental ones, of course, is just lack of familiarity. Um, you know, people don't understand what text analytics is and what it's um, promised and what you can do with it. Um, hopefully the book will help um, uh, in that, that regard to some, some extent. But another related one is that there's a lack of resources in a lot of organizations now um, that really are, are the ones that are needed on, for the human side of, of the text analytics um, uh, types of applications. Taxonomists and librarians, for example. The, tr the trend has been to uh, reduce those. And that doesn't mean you have to go out and have a whole big library staff. Um, but, but it turns out that, for example, librarians, certain librarians, if you get them out of the library and get them involved in, like, say, a text analytics kind of, of project, they're absolutely essential. Um, but it, it's a different function. So, so they either don't have librarians or they're, they're, in, they're stuck in the library. So it's a lack of resources. Um, I think there's also a kind of a cultural clash. Um, there's the clash between information technology and what we're doing with text analytics, but basically it's between information technology and, and deep understanding of language. So information has to do with meaning, not just um, numbers. Um, another is lack of standards. I mean, every project is a custom project, and that's great for consulting companies. It's not so great for customers. And one reason for the lack of standards is, again, there's, there's a lack of foundation resources. There's, there's no big 
I mean, there's libraries of taxonomies, but again, every one of them has to be customized. But fundamentally, to me, the, the single biggest issue is simply the complexity of language. Language is very, very complex, and we're trying to understand it in a deeper level. And that's why text does simple text mining applications, for example, um, can resonate with people. Because there you get doing away with meaning largely. You're just using sort of dictionary lookups, and you're counting words as objects. But once you get beyond that and try to understand what does this mean, what does this sentence mean, what are the issues involved, it's very, very complex. And um, you know, there's, there's no way around that um, except, again, to build better and better solutions, better better software, better models. And it's something that isn't going to be done overnight. It's not as, 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 as amazingly sexy as, as Watson, um, but it's, it's what's fundamentally needed. Um, it's difficult. That's true. I, I, I still uh, find that once people get into it, though, they can leverage sort of what was your mantra? I liked it. Think big, start small, scale fast. A mm-hmm. series of projects that each deliver value that you know, may be starting with less complexity and less depth in understanding, but building up to it. Yes, and, and uh, that's exactly, I, mean, I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, for example, when I talk about text analytics as a foundation, again, we're not talking about some huge um, you know, uh, in-depth um, giant research projects or navel gazing or whatever, but you have to have some level of understanding, I think, to get the best out of, out of the overall process. You know, you have to start small. You have to have those series of, of projects. And yeah, once once people learn how to do it, I'm I'm kind of amazed at at who it is in within organizations that I end up working with that are the ones that become the champions that really learn how to do this stuff really well. Sometimes, as, as you know, the obvious um, uh, sort of job description will be a librarian, but very often it's not. It's somebody that's in um, you know, in some business group or, or um, in a customer um, relations group or, or marketing. Um, and they just happen to be the ones that, you know, the whole, the language issues resonate with. Yes. And they often are the people that understand their data because they understand their business. Right. How can people get started? I mean, if you know, now have a sense that deep text and this area has a lot of potential for you. Where would you? Where's? Where, where do you get going? Well, the obvious answer is you buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that was a softball. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> um, no, and, and and yes, of course. I'm. I happen to think yes, that'd be a great great way to get started. That whole process that we have called the smart start, I think, is is that's that's the way to get started. Um, and that's the smart way to get started. Um, you know, the think big, start small, scale fast. And th- what that ultimately means is, of course, you have to have champions within organizations. You have to have starting applications that people have in mind. But if you if you do start small with the deeper understanding, then I think you're going to avoid a lot of the problems that that people have. But probably the single key issue in in starting isn't found in the start. You can start a lot of projects and, and get some value out of them. The big issue is is planning for what comes after the start. You know, what, how are you going to continue to refine these, these resources? How are you going to continue to apply them and, and, and govern them? And so that's, that's a piece that's very often um, missing. And that's, that's the one that I think is most danger. But probably the biggest danger um, of getting started in this is you get started and you get, you're, you're moving and you think things are moving along 
and then you run into a brick wall and you don't know how to get beyond it um, because you haven't either done the research or you haven't um, developed the right kinds of, of foundations and structures. And so, you know, that's that's something that I think is, is a major problem uh, for people in, in this field. Yeah, so that's a, a pothole to watch out for. And I, I know in your book, there's a whole part of the book that's about getting started, goes through the smart start and even some stepwise evaluation techniques. So uh, mm-hmm. as a, uh, a reviewer, I'll say I, I, I heartily recommend the book. I'm really glad you, you wrote it, but I'm also thrilled that we could spend some time together talking about this subject and helping the listeners be successful. So appreciate your time very much, Tom. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm um, always happy to talk about this stuff, but um, particularly um, with someone that, um, like yourself that um, has been there as well and understands some of the issues and problems. But, so I, I appreciate greatly the chance to talk to you. Thank you all for joining us. Don't forget, you can listen to the show anytime over at BAInsight.com or subscribe for free in your podcast application of choice. On behalf of Jeff Freed and Tom Remy, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time on Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight.